the 40th chapter of the book of Genesis. Ben Carson was born to a woman who herself was one of 24 children. She got married when she was 13 years old. Her husband was a bigamist. Because she only had a third grade education, she prayed and she asked God to give her wisdom because her two sons were terrible students. Well, God answered that mother's prayer. Today, Ben Carson's brother is an engineer, and Ben is now Dr. Ben Carson. He went from being ranked as the worst student in his fifth grade class to being named head of pediatric neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins when he was 33, the youngest in the nation at the time. On the occasion of its 20th anniversary, the Library of Congress named him one of the 89 living legends. In 2001, he was chosen by CNN and Time Magazine as one of America's top 20 physicians and scientists. Dr. Carson currently serves as the 17th United States Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Ben Carson's story is amazing on so many levels. But the one thing about his story that really caught my attention when I read it was what he said about his mother. He said that in spite of everything she had to deal with, she never adopted a victim's mentality. And to me, in 2020, that is refreshing because so many people today want to claim victim status. Someone gets caught speeding and they claim to be the victim of a speed trap. Some teenager gets their digital device taken away and they whine about being the victim of overbearing and abusive parents. The boss asks an employee to work overtime in order to finish a project and they feel victimized by a tyrannical authority figure. Those are all bogus claims of victimhood. But that's not to say that there aren't some real victims out there. My wife and I, in our work with the Domestic Violence Center, have seen plenty of legitimate victims who've been hit, punched, choked, kicked, thrown around, you name it, and they've had to deal with it. Working in law enforcement, I see real victims of real crimes like theft and battery and molestation. There are those who have been victims of vicious lies and gossip and slander. Of late, we've seen some legitimate victims of an overreaching government whose only crime was they went to church. As stated by Attorney General Bill Barr, even in times of emergency, 
The First Amendment prohibits religious discrimination. There's no doubt some listening this morning who have been legitimately victimized in some form or fashion. And here's my question to you this morning. How are you handling that? What's your attitude like right now? Most of us, when we get ripped off, we want to rip right back. When we get hurt, we want to hurt. That's human nature. But here's the danger of that kind of attitude. It can bind you and hold you hostage for years and keep you from living an enjoyable life. And the same goes for us who are friends or family of those who have been legitimately ill-treated. When we see those people in our lives victimized by the unjust and unfair treatment of others, then we naturally want to seek revenge on their behalf. But we run the same risk of us having an attitude that binds us and holds us hostage and keeps us from living an enjoyable life. Now, according to, to our way of thinking, when someone does right, then there are rewards and blessings. And when someone does wrong, there are serious consequences and punishments. But the reality of that is that that's not always God's way. At least not immediately. May I remind you of Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, where the Bible says, For your thoughts, it's the Lord speaking, for your thoughts, or excuse me, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has been known to allow unfair treatment to occur in the lives of some totally innocent people, and he's done it for reasons far more profound and deep than we or they could even begin to understand. With the Lord's help, I want to preach to you today under this title, When Life Hurts. Sometimes life hurts due to unexpected and unexplained tragedy. Many of you have experienced that hurt, as has our family. And then there are times when life hurts due to our own poor decisions. Maybe we say something we shouldn't have said or we... uh, Respond in a way we shouldn't have responded or we make an ill-advised purchase just on impulse because it's something that we wanted 
And all of a sudden, we've got this pain in our life, and it's our fault. But then, there are times when life hurts because of the unjust, unfair, unethical actions of others. And that's what I want to address in this message. The story of Joseph is an accurate example of life hurting because of the actions of others. If you have your Bibles open, look with me at the beginning of verse 1. And it came to pass after these things. And so we stop and ask ourselves, after what things? For those who may not be familiar with the story of Joseph's life, I want to take just a a few moments to, to review and to bring you up to speed on where we're at in our text. But I would, would strongly encourage you that when you have the time, begin reading Joseph's story in, in Genesis chapter 37 and read it all the way through to Genesis chapter 50. It is truly one of the most fascinating stories in all of Scripture. The story of Joseph's mistreatment begins when he was unfairly treated by his family. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him because of the relationship he had with their father. But they were also jealous because God had given Joseph two visions. And in those visions, Joseph was ruling over his brothers. And they were bowing down to him, which did happen, by the way. As you can imagine... That did not sit too well with them. And so the day came when they decided that enough was enough. And they plotted to kill him. Now, they wanted to just murder him outright. But their eldest brother, Reuben, objected. So they, they threw him in a hole and they left him there to die. And their plan was to lie to their father and to tell him that Joseph had been attacked by a wild animal and killed. They even took the little coat that his father had made for him. And they took the blood of an animal and they smeared it all over that coat uh, to make their story more convincing. So Joseph was hurt when he was unfairly treated by his family. But his hurt continued when he was unexpectedly sold into slavery. In the absence of their oldest brother, Reuben, who actually had a plan to save his little brother's life, but at a moment when he had left his brothers, they saw an opportunity to, number one, make some money, and number two, get rid of Joseph all at the same time. So they sold him to a group of Ishmaelites who in turn took him to Egypt where he began living his life as a slave. While living as a slave and serving in the home of a high-ranking Egyptian official, 
Joseph was unjustly accused of a crime that he did not commit. And he was thrown into prison. So now Joseph is right back where he started. He's in a hole. He's in a pit again. And one has to question at this point, where's God? How could God possibly let this happen to such an undeserving individual? I think you would agree with me that it's easy to see God in the good things. And we can even see him sometimes in some things that are, are a bit questionable. But where is he when life is unfair? I'm talking about those times when we're treated unjustly and unethically and unfairly by others. Where is God in the dungeon experiences of our life? And I think those are fair questions. Something else that often troubles us in, in these times is God's seeming silence. And sometimes we can interpret his silence as a lack of his presence. But as we see from the story of Joseph's life, that is an incorrect assumption. God's silence does not equate to a lack of his presence. If you go up and read the last three verses or so of Genesis chapter 39, you'll read that the Lord was with Joseph. If you want to ask, well, where was God when Joseph was going through all of this? The answer is there. He was with Joseph. He never left him. And on top of that, he gave Joseph favor in the eyes of others. And the Bible says literally that God caused everything Joseph did to prosper. So even in the, the dungeon experience, Joseph saw the hand of God. And because of that, he was able to be used in a strategic way by God in the lives of at least two men. And we'll look at that in a moment. But let me say this. I believe the key to Joseph's success in difficult times is that he kept his focus on the Lord. Joseph was able to see his circumstances through the lens of God's will. And if you begin in Genesis 37 and start reading through the life of Joseph, you'll not even see a hint of, woe is me, here I am in the dungeon all alone, poor me. You won't find that. Now, make no mistake about it. Joseph did not deserve to be in prison. Just like you may not have deserved what has happened to you. But he responded to it in a most incredible way. And because he maintained a vital and consistent relationship with the Lord we have the story that we're going to read in Genesis chapter 40. 
If you're there, follow with me as I begin reading in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. The position of butler or cupbearer was literally one of the most trusted positions in the kingdom because the cupbearer was responsible for tasting every drink and every dish before it was ever served to the king. That way, if anyone had any thoughts of trying to poison the Pharaoh, then it was bye-bye butler and long live Pharaoh. The baker also had a very important position for obvious reasons. It was his food that fed the king. And we're not told in, in the scriptures what happened that caused Pharaoh to be so mad at these two guys that he would throw them into prison, but there they were. And it just so happened, I say that with tongue in cheek, it just so happened that they were thrown in prison at the very same time that Joseph was there. So here's a thought. Isn't it amazing how often God brings people alongside us who are going through or perhaps have gone through similar experiences? When we're hurting, he brings someone into our life who's felt our pain and out of their own experience, they're able to minister to us just like Joseph was able to minister to the butler and the baker. But I'm convinced this morning that the only reason this was able to happen was because Joseph kept the Lord at the forefront of his life and was able to stay free of things like bitterness and anger and resentment and a bad attitude. Let's continue reading verse 4. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. And they continued a season in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them. Each man his dream in one night. Each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning, and he looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? That question 
Wherefore, look ye so sadly today, makes for another good teaching point here. Even though the bottom had dropped out of his life, it's remarkable how sensitive Joseph was to the needs of others. And I'll say it again, it's like the third time. It's all about attitude. Joseph's ability to think beyond his own immediate cares and needs in order to be merciful to others was because his eyes were on the Lord and not on himself. Listen, with the right attitude, it doesn't have to be a cloudless day in order to have sunshine. I love this true story from the life of Thomas Edison, shared by his son Charles in his book titled The Electric Thomas Edison. And the reason I like it is because it's a perfect illustration of the benefits of a positive attitude. One December evening, the cry of fire echoed through the plant. Spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room. And within moments, all the packing compounds, film and other flammable goods, had gone up with a whoosh. When I couldn't find Father, I became concerned. Was he safe? With all his assets going up in smoke, would his spirit be broken? He was 67, no age to begin anew. Then I saw him in the plant yard, running toward me. Where's mom, he shouted. Go get her. Tell her to get her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. Okay, stop, stop there for a moment. Instead of saying something like, God, why did I do, what did I do to deserve this? I'm 67 years old. I've, I, I've, I've tried to live well and serve others, and this is what I get in return? But no, there was none of that in the heart of, of Thomas Edison. What he said instead was, hey, go get your mom and tell her to bring her friends because they will never see a fire like this. <laughs> the story continues at 5.30 the next morning when the fire was barely under control. Father called his employees together and announced, we're rebuilding. One man was told to lease all the machine shops in the area. Another to obtain a wrecking crane from the Erie Railroad Company. Then, almost as an afterthought, he asked, Oh, by the way, anybody know where we can get some money? Later on, he explained, You can always make capital out of disaster. We've just cleared out a bunch of old rubbish. We'll build bigger and better on these ruins. And with that, he rolled up his coat for a pillow, curled up on a table, and immediately fell asleep. 
I love the line, you can always make capital out of disaster. Let's go on. Look at the beginning of verse 8. And they said, that is the butler and the baker, they said to Joseph, we have dreamed a dream. So put yourself for a moment in Joseph's shoes right here. Knowing about the dreams that he had had earlier. What do you suppose you would want to say at that point? Perhaps we would like to say something like this. You've dreamed a dream. Let me tell you about my dreams and the hurt that they have caused me. Of course, Joseph didn't respond that way. But how tempting is that for us sometimes? When someone shares their hurt with us, it's so tempting, instead of listening to them and trying to help them, we automatically default to our own hurt and how painful it was to us as if we're minimizing the hurt of others. Let's be careful not to do that. Joseph went on to have them share their, their dreams with him. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Now here's another question. What would have happened had Joseph been nothing at this point in his life, having gone through everything he's gone through? What would have happened had he been nothing but gloom and despair and agony on me? I'll tell you what would have happened. He would have missed a great opportunity for ministry. I like something I read once from Pastor Paul Chapel. He said, your greatest sermon is in the valley. Think about that. What kind of sermon do we preach with our reaction to mistreatment and difficult days? Is it a message of God's not fair God's mean, life stinks, or is it this message? I believe God's working this for my good. Somehow, some way, God's got a plan. Big difference there. Well, Joseph interpreted the dreams. We'll not read all those verses He interpreted the dream of the butler and he interpreted the dream of the baker. The interpretation of the baker's dream was he was going to die in three days. How would you have liked to have delivered that message? Joseph's interpretation of the butler's dream was that he was going to be released in three days. And here's what Joseph asked of the butler upon his release. Look at it, verse 14. 
But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. Then drop down to verse 20. It came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to him. Now look very carefully, verse 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. If that doesn't stink, the guy forgot him. And not only that, if you'll read the first verse of the next chapter, here's what you'll find. Joseph had to spend two more full years in the dungeon. Now you talk about victimization. I mean, it's like the hitch just kept coming and coming and coming on Joseph. But church, here's the remarkable thing. Joseph just kept on waiting and trusting, and hoping, and leaning on God. Let me share three quick thoughts with you, and I'll be done. Number one, write it down. When things go bad, don't go with them. We have two choices when life hurts. We can become disillusioned, and embittered, or we can use that difficulty as a platform for putting our hope and our trust in the living God. Choose the latter. Here's the second truth. With God's help, we can always turn something very bad into something very Those of you who know the story of Joseph are going to be familiar with this verse. It comes from the last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50 and verse 20. Joseph's looking at his brothers. Remember, the ones that threw him in a pit and left him to die. And then lifted him out of that pit and sold him into slavery. Joseph is looking at those brothers in the eye. And with no anger and no resentment and no bitterness, here's what he said. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good. To bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. 
God has a hundred different messages to give you during a hundred different dungeon experiences. And he knows just the right message at just the right time. And all it takes to receive it, listen now, is a sensitive, obedient, trusting heart. Not a heart preoccupied with revenge or bitterness or hostility, but a heart that cries out, Lord, help me. Deliver me from my own prison. Help me to see beyond my hurt to your hand. And as I'm being crushed, remold me. I would encourage you to pray that prayer. Turn your trial into trust as you look to God to use your hurt for your good and for His glory. As a matter of fact, before I give you the third point, I'm going to ask you if the Lord has spoken to you through this message. I'm going to ask you to to pray right now, right where you're at. If God has convicted you of maybe a wrong attitude, a poor spirit, as he did me as I was preparing the message and going over my notes, even last night, God convicted me of some things. And maybe God's convicted you of some things in your own life. And if he has, I want you to pray that prayer. I'll lead you. Lord, help me. Deliver me from my own prison. Help me to see beyond my hurt to your hand. As I'm being crushed, remold me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's the final thought for you, and and I've, I've said it earlier, but here it is again. Your greatest sermon is in the valley. This is so incredibly important for us as believers. Most of the hurt caused by others is either done publicly or it's done in such a way that it will become public. Which means either way, others will be watching. And as they watch, what will they see? Here's what they need to see. They need to see a man or a woman who possesses a strong faith in God. 
A faith that refuses to let the ugly in others kill the beauty in them. If this message has helped you in in some way, then I trust that you'll, you'll click the link at the bottom of the page, connect with us there. And just let us know how this message may have helped you during this point in time in your life. And while you're there, I want to ask you to feel free to, to provide whatever information you're, you're comfortable providing there. And here's what's going to happen when we get that connection card back electronically. At the end of the month, we're going to total up those cards And for every card that we receive, we're going to donate $10 to a great nonprofit organization in our community that has helped many, many people, including a number of people right here in the Fellowship family. That organization is Southwest Miracles. The goal of this This organization is to help friends and and neighbors throughout the High Plains who are going through some kind of medical crisis. The help they provide will be different based upon each individual case, but I, I know in the past that they've helped with hotel expenses, they've helped with fuel costs. I know right here in our own church family, they've they've helped through their share closet with scooters and wheelchairs and crutches and hospital beds and walkers. Again, they're just a great, great organization. So would you help us help them by taking just a minute and fill out the online connection card and then submit it to us? Thank you. And church, thank you for your generosity during these really really messed up times as we had the last several weeks just want to encourage you stay faithful continue to be a good steward there's anything we can do to help you along those lines you need more offering envelopes and we can bring them by or you can stop by the church office you can continue to give online Um, however you choose to do it just just keep doing it and I know that God is, is going to bless you for it and fellowship family, let me, just, let me just say we love you. And I say that with all of my heart. We love you. And we look forward to seeing each of you soon right here. Not on a computer screen, not on an iPad or an iPhone or on your television. Now what I'm talking about. We look forward to seeing you, the real you, In here, 310 West Pancake, lifting your voice to the Lord, praising the Lord, worshiping the Lord, being as loud in church as you are in the live stream. Amen. We want you you to, to be here, and we're looking forward to that time. It's coming. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being such a good God. Lord, we're reminded today that we don't live in a perfect world. And not everybody lives by biblical principles. 
Some are governed by their own selfish desires and their own desires to be promoted and their own insecurities and they make decisions that hurt others. It may help them, promote them, but it, it hurts others. And Lord, no doubt there are some listening today who've been the recipients of that kind of treatment. It's been unfair, it's been unjust, it's been unethical, it's just not been right. And it's hurt them. It's hurt them emotionally, it's hurt them financially. And God, I pray today that you would help them to to take from this story of the life of Joseph that in order for that to be used for, for their good and for your glory, they've got to have the right attitude. They've got to stay focused on Jesus. They've got to look beyond their hurt to your hand and believe that you've got a plan. God, give them faith. Give them grace. Give them the ability to forgive and to move on. God, help us to do what we can to live peaceably with all men. Bless the preaching of your word today in Jesus' name. Amen.